0: There, there are some uh, Confession of Faith uh, available. Uh, I, I was able to get some that have the Scripture references in them. Uh, there, there's some still in the back. The, the Scripture references really are the core of the Confession. I appreciate the fact that the hymnal uh, has the Confession in it, uh, but those uh, Scripture references are, are important. Uh, the paragraph that we are going to study first uh, has... Uh, Uh, five references and they uh, they kind of help you uh, plug in and then if you're of a Berean spirit uh, you can do some uh, Follow-up because any good reference Bible will take you from one of those key texts uh, out to other texts that support what they're trying to say generally uh, What they were trying to do in the confection in the confession is have a representative text and you know any scripture text can bear the weight on its own, uh, but it, uh, it, the, the first, the first uh, level of good hermeneutics is to compare scripture with scripture. So this would be paragraph 4 of chapter uh, 20, and that says, although the gospel be the only outward means of revealing Christ and saving grace, and is as such abundantly sufficient thereunto, yet that men who are dead in trespasses may be born again, quickened or regenerated, there is moreover necessary an effectual, insuperable work of the Holy Spirit upon the whole soul, for the producing in them a new spiritual life without which no other means will effect their conversion unto God. So the first thing that they're saying is that Christ's sacrifice and that salvation Is abundantly sufficient and our studies in Hebrews will show that he is the perfect sacrifice the perfect high priest he made a perfect atonement and he's a perfect mediator so everything out there uh, for our salvation is there in Christ Uh, uh, yet uh, the uh, confession is saying something else has to happen Uh, and basically what they're talking about is the application of that salvation There's the salvation. It's perfect. But how does a sinner get to that salvation? So he talks about, they talk about man's condition, uh, dead and trespasses. And then three powerful acts, uh, born again, quickened, and regenerated. You know, born again can mean mean born from above. And uh, it's a spiritual birth. Uh, uh, God does it. Nicodemus, he went the physical way, didn't he? Well, can somebody go back into their mother's womb? Jesus said, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They were born again by the power of God. Uh, The second thing, is that we're quickened. Uh, if we're dead in trespasses and sins, there's really no pulse. There's really no spiritual heartbeat. There, there's nothing there by nature. And so we not only need to be born again from above, we need to be quickened. Uh, quickened means to be vitalized or stimulated. That's absolutely what we need. And then uh, regenerated, uh, that means to, to, uh, to build and to make or start anew, and that's what we need, uh, Titus 3.5, by the, the regeneration uh, of the Holy Spirit. We need to be born again. Everyone who is in Christ is a what creation? New. New, it's, it's everything that's pa- all, it's all passed away, it's, it's, it's new. And, and then they talk about, uh, moreover, it's necessary Uh, for the work of the Spirit, and there's two good words there, uh, effectual and uh, insuperable. So effectual means that something works towards the intended purpose or produces the desired results. It's effectual. What it starts to do, it finishes. And then insuperable means it's not able to be overcome. And and we should be humbled by that because that's what we needed. The effectual and insuperable work of God's Holy Spirit. That's what they're driving at. The salvation is there. It's perfect. But we need the Holy Spirit to make that effective to us and that we can't overcome it uh, anymore. It says the work of the Holy Spirit upon the whole soul. Uh, That is important because there are uh, views of the human uh, condition that say we're really not that banged up. We really have something there that uh, God could use, Or, but uh, they're, they're driving that the whole soul needs to be changed. Uh, power has to be exercised uh, to save the whole sinner. Psalm 110 verse 3 says, your people will offer themselves in the day uh, of your power. And 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 talks about our natural condition. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, We need to be born again. We need to be quickened. We need to be regenerated, and that needs to be effectual and in. Superable. Uh, they talk about the product, the, they talk about the product there at the end. It's it uh, produces uh, a new uh, spiritual life, a, a new spiritual life that wasn't there before because uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, one of their scripture references is 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 4 through 6. From being under the power, the active power of Satan trying to keep us blind. And Paul says to the revelation of Christ himself. And now the light has shone and opened those blind eyes. The other passage that they use is John chapter 6 and verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. One of the most amazing passages, because he starts with the drawing, the call, and ends up at the last day that he's going to raise you up. And he connects those things. Are you called by the Lord Jesus Christ? Then you can have confidence, because Jesus said, I will raise him up on the last day. It's a complete, whole salvation. So that's that's chapter 20. Uh, we come to chapter twenty one and, and there is a uh typical uh progression in the chapters in other words, the first paragraph might state something the second paragraph might build on it a little bit the third might uh, et etc uh, this uh, first paragraph actually has uh, thirteen different texts associated with it so you you could see how you're you're kind of flying blind if you don't have the text there's thirteen proof texts. Just for this uh, uh, first paragraph, paragraph uh, number one. So there's a, a progression. Biblical, biblical books like Romans and, and James have a progression in, the, in, in how they go. And so we're, we're uh, used to that. Uh, and then there's a, a great change that's taking place with chapter 21. And the, the, basically the, the writers said, okay, now from chapter 1 to 20, uh, now you're saved. We talked about God, who he is, Jesus, the word. We talked about all those things. We talked about the law and now you're saved. Well, what do you do? Well, chapter 21 is about the conscience. Chapter 22 is about religious worship. How do I worship? Chapter 23 is about vows. Chapter 24 is about the civil magistrate. Now that I'm a Christian, how do I relate to my government? Chapter 25, marriage. Now that I'm a Christian, how do, who do I look for? What do I do? What does the Bible say about marriage? Chapter 26, the church, that's the longest section in the entire confession, uh, etc. Uh, baptism, the Lord's Supper. So, so this is a transition paragraph, uh, paragraph 21, and uh, takes us, you might say, uh, to the more uh, practical section. Uh, so... First of all, it tells us that Christ purchased liberty. Let me me read that first paragraph. There's a a lot of uh, different things that we have been uh, released from, so listen as we hear those. The liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the rigor and curse of the law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan, the dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, the fear and the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation, as also in their free access to God and their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and willing mind. What a salvation, you would say. You mean I've delivered from all of those things? And the answer is yes, and they do back them up. So first, we'll look at the large categories. Uh, You understand I'm only trying to deal with their outline in the words, but to me, I see three large categories. The the first three, freedom from the guilt of sin. My sin is no longer uh, put to my account. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're free from the condemning wrath of God. If I'm a sinner, I'm under God's wrath. We were under God's wrath, Paul says in Ephesians 2, even as the rest. Everybody who walked according to the course of the the world and the principles and the powers of the air, they were children of wrath. That's what we were. So our sin was appointed to us and we sat under the condemnation of God. And then from the rigor and curse of the law, our obligation was to obey the law perfectly, externally and internally. Because God sees the heart, and and that's the fool's paradise, isn't it? The internal. Well, I I, I act like a Christian, but yeah. right? But my mind is a cesspool. That that's the that's the hypocrite's playground. That's the. The, the fool delights in what he can do in his mind with, and, and outwardly look one other way. So they use Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The, the curse of the law in Paul's argument is that you have to do everything. If you're going to live by the law, he says, if you want to go back and say you have to follow the law, then you've got to keep it perfectly and you can't start over well, then you're already condemned, aren't you? Yeah. That's right. Those lies that I told in four and five and six years old, the candy I stole from that store, I can't start over. I can't get a clean slate and say, well, well, look, 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 let's, let's do this. Let's start over. It's impossible. So the rigor and curse of the law. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that's talking about salvation. Christ hung there and took our uh, punishment. Well, then there is that list that we talked about. uh, Being delivered from this present evil world. There's three large categories in my mind. And then being delivered from this present evil world. Galatians 1.4 is their text. Who gave himself for our sins... To deliver us from the present evil age. And You can think of other texts. Jesus says, "In the world, you have what? In the tribulation, but take care of. I have overcome the world." A, a, a similar text. It, it, it tells us a victory. Uh, if you look at Revelation, some of the uh, words to the churches. Or just be patient because you're going to overcome. Just be patient because you're going to conquer. You're going to get away from the present evil age. The Babylon, that is the world system that afflicts you, is going to get wiped out. So we are delivered from this present evil world. Uh, Secondly, uh, delivered from bondage to Satan. uh, Acts 26, 18. Paul is giving his testimony. And he basically, he says that God sent me to tell people that they might be delivered from darkness uh, to light and from the power of Satan to God. Uh, And he's the same person that wrote Ephesians chapter 2, you walk according to all those principalities. He's the same person that wrote, we don't fight against flesh and blood, we fight against spiritual forces. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says of Jesus' work, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And and the devil, first of all, is wants to keep you under sin and blind your eyes and then bring you to a swift death. Some people he uses alcohol. Some people he uses drugs. Some people he just tries to keep them in fear all the time. Death, death, death. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It says that the people were under the, the power of it and deliver all, Those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And the gospel comes and says, no, Jesus conquered death so you could conquer too. I'm the resurrection and the life, he says. Even if you die, you'll live. And if you live, you'll never die. That's freedom, isn't it? That's freedom. I don't have to worry about death. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to cower and think, what am I going to do with this sin? What am I going to do with this guilt? Uh, ephesians 2 just an example text we were following the course of the world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience we were following that we were following that course of bondage to satan and all the while the spirits working in the sons of disobedience working in us Uh, the next thing is uh the, the dominion of sin, we're we're free from the dominion of sin. Jesus says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. Uh, Romans 8, verse 3, he condemns sin in the flesh. That's one of the verses that are right there. Uh, we're free from the dominion of sin. It, it once ruled, it once had its claws into us, it once took us uh, according to all the other unbelievers, and now that dominion has been broken. Sin does not reign over me anymore. Romans 6. Romans 7. We still feel it. We still understand. But he says, Wretched man that I am, thanks be to God, right, for my salvation. Then we're also free from the evil of afflictions. This is a a blessed comfort to us because somehow, somehow God changes our afflictions for good. You say, Well, I wish he would do that to me. I wish he would help me. But, Romans 8, 28, all things work together to good to those that love God, those who are called according to his purpose. How does that happen? Who who could make something good out of the mess of my life? Who who can make something good out of tribulation and trial and doubt and difficulty and sickness and sorrow? God God says he, he could do that and he does it for all those who are called, all those who are justified. In Romans 5, uh, Paul says rejoice in suffering because you know suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. I can remember telling our kids, it builds character. Doing what you don't want to do builds character, okay? So then I get in trials, And God says to me, don't worry. It builds character, right? Character produces hope. Because as my character is purified, what do I realize? The the world's not, I I don't want to live in the world. I don't want a part of this thing. Well, what's my hope then? Oh, I want to go to, I want to be in glory. I've been told there's a place where people never, ever, ever suffer again. For eternity, they just sit or stand and praise the Lord. They never have a tear. They never have sorrow. They never have anything else. That's what, that's what he's talking about. James says, consider it all joy. You say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody could do that. Well, well, Paul did, and the Hebrews did. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because you knew you had a better possession. Imagine people persecuting Gene and I and coming to the house and backing up a truck and stealing all our stuff, taking it out. And I'm thinking, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. We're doing it because you're a Christian. Yeah, go ahead. I got a better possession. I got a different house waiting. But that's what he said the Hebrews did. Paul said, Paul said, "In, in every situation I've learned to be content. Except when I have trials, except when I have the care for all the churches. No, that's not what he said. Consider it all joy. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let that have its perfect work. James actually says, you get involved and think, knowing, think about the good things that are coming from the fact that you're tested. It's, it's hard to do, but that is, that's one of the freedoms that we have in Christ recently heard of uh, somebody who passed away and they they said the reaction of the family was they were they were mad at God they were mad at God that the mother died or the, the person died but that's not that that's not the right way to look at it is it then there's another three together We're free from the fear of sting and death, 1st Corinthians 15, death, where is your sting? The victory of the grave, the victory of the grave, I might have one, I might possess one, but that's not going to keep me. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and what? I'll raise him up on the last day. I can, I can pill on my head, I can say the last words, if God wills, to my wife. And on my head, knowing the next thing I'll see is Christ acting in the grave. Doesn't doesn't matter if you can't recognize. It doesn't matter if the only if the only way you can figure out who that is is look at my dental records. Jesus says I'll raise him up in the last day. His victory over the grave and victory over everlasting damnation. Uh, Paul tells the 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 Thessalonians they completely believed in the person who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then uh, there is access uh, and obedience. Uh, You you see, here's all the things we're freed of. And he says, as also in their free access to God. Well, that's a change, isn't it? Here I was, I'm in the course of something else completely. And now I have free access uh, to God. And uh, he uses two he uses two things there, yielding obedience, right? And they're yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and, and willing mind. Uh, the, one of the passages is uh, 1 John four eighteen: perfect love casts out fear. We, we become uh, children of God. We become childlike in faith. We become dependent. And, and God's not like some, uh, God's not like some crazy father who, who might say, "Here watch, I'm going to give the baby hot sauce. It's not like that. The, the, the baby would never take a spoon of anything from you after that. But all the slavish fear is gone. There's a childlike and willing mind. We, we know all these things that God has done for us, and in that freedom, we are his children. We walk about as God's children freely and willingly. God says, tells us to do something, and we obey. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. What shall I do next? Jesus, what shall I do next? What do you want me to do next? We become childlike. We have a willing mind. Uh, it's, not, it's not babyish but it's completely dependent uh, and completely uh, trusting. Any, any questions, any interaction, any other verses you might think of, that is, th- that is the freedom uh, uh, that we have. And in all those categories, and, and then to top it off, free access to God, and they're yielding obedience unto him, not out of a slavish fear, but a childlike love and a a willing mind. And then we'll we'll finish by looking at the second uh, paragraph. Uh, All which were common also to believers under the law for the substance of them, but under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law to which the Jewish church was subjected. And in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace, and in fuller communications of the free spirit of God than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. Another, uh, another mouthful. Uh, so the, the, first, the first sentence is saying, if you were a believer in the, in the Old Testament, all those things that happened were the same. And now they have an, an exception, Right? Because the, the ceremonial law uh, went away under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged. If I was a believing Jewish person, I still had a moral law and a ceremonial law, didn't I? Oh no, I'm I'm a Jewish believer. I don't I don't have to sacrifice anymore. Oh, I'm a Jewish believer. It doesn't matter what clothes I wear. No, that's you were still under uh, uh, those uh, those things. Uh, I, I like that. Uh, I like that statement where they said the liberty of Christians is further enlarged. Further enlarged. There's more. If you thought thought paragraph one was good and you had a lot of privileges and a lot of things were taken away and you were given this freedom, paragraph two says your liberty is further enlarged. So what was the ceremonial law? Can somebody... Tell me two things, three things that it had to do with? Exactly. Right? Feast, the Sabbath, sacrifices, what clothes to wear, what to eat, what not to eat. If I touched something, I could be unclean. I wouldn't be allowed to go to worship. Right? Cities of refuge and this and that. Rules, I could pass by somebody's field and take... Take stuff like the disciples did, but I couldn't put a sickle into it. All sorts of stuff. So, there's things about land. There's things about murder. There's things about people who who get in a fight together. All sorts of things. Now, when we studied the moral law in, in, in chapter 19... We, we saw the moral law does forever bind all as well as justified persons as others to the obedience, and that not only in regard of the matter contained in it, but also in respect to the authority of God the Creator who gave it. Neither does Christ in the gospel any way dissolve, but much strengthen the obligation. So the moral law is always there. The ceremonial got removed. It was called a shadow, it was called a type, all that stuff is gone. But the moral law is still there. And and how did Jesus turn it down a little bit? He says, Well, you've heard that it was said you shouldn't commit adultery, that's a command. But I say to you, if you do what? If you think, if you lust. You've heard it was said, You shall not commit murder. But if I say to somebody, You fool. I'm guilty, because murder is in my heart. So that's what they mean. It was it was strengthened. We could almost we could almost think of the other uh, Ten Commandments in the in those things, in those ways. How do you keep yourself from coveting? Well, well, certainly you don't go stand in front of the stuff that you covet all the time. Oh, you say that's legalism? No, isn't that like not looking at a woman? Isn't it that? Like not making sure that I don't say anything. I'm not going to go and, and look at the thing that I covet. I'm not going to spend time there. So so there, there's ways that we we obey by doing certain things. But all those ceremonies are gone. They're completely gone as a yoke. But, But how do I use food? If I'm a Christian, how do I use food? Is there any restriction on what I can eat? I saw a guy that had a video once and he said, yes, the the only food you should eat was what was in Genesis, right? Vegetables. Okay. Not very good exegetically, but probably healthy for you. <laughs> See? But that's the only thing. But then, as time goes by, what what's clean? What can we eat? Right? With, right? As long as it's with what? Yeah, Thanksgiving. We can be thankful for all kind of food. But is there a sin with food? Gluttons. Right? We, we could be gluttons, right? So the ceremonial law is gone. It's not all these tiny details, but we still have to be careful. How about my clothes? Can I wear anything I want anytime? No? For, right? For women, there, there's two passages that talk about modesty. If if, if I'm a man and if, if I'm an image bearer, Right? It's it's image bearing at, at this point. I wear what's acceptable in my culture. In this and that, right? I don't, I, I don't show up here in a. Right, sleeveless T-shirt and shorts, right? I, I'd be completely out of place. It would be like, what in the world is he thinking? I think I put a mental picture in some of your minds. I don't <laughs> want to do that. But you see that. There's things about clothing. And and what about clean and unclean? Do we have, do we really have to think about our worship? When I go into the when I go into the sanctuary or not? What did Jesus say about it? If I go to worship in what? I remember what? Somebody has something against me. I don't have anything against the, the person. But somehow I know that somebody else has something against me. And he says, you stop right there, you go, you make it right, then you come back. So some people would say, whoa, 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 that's being fussy. No, but that's what Jesus said. And modesty is modesty, and gluttony is gluttony. So all, those, all that yoke of everything is gone. But, but there's still acceptable things. And, and we need discernment and wisdom, don't we? Because we, we could be in a culture, we could be in a culture that dressed totally different. And they'd say, what in the world is that thing around your neck? Well, in America, yeah, well, we hate Americans. You see? In America, we use this to partially strangle ourselves for six or eight hours a day. So they are... So there are a number of those things, food, clothing, clean and unclean. I have to think about those. Uh, and, th- and that's the chapter that we're in, isn't it? Christian liberty and liberty of conscience. Somebody says, somebody says, it's wrong to drink any alcoholic beverages at all. And I don't believe that because I say, well, the Bible talks about wine and, and uh, it talks about moderation and there's been, there's been wine all the way through. I once had a discussion with two ladies who said that the wine that Jesus made at the wedding of Cana we couldn't get anybody drunk. Well, that's interesting since all the rest of the wine in the Bible can. See? But they had that idea. Nobody can drink, right? And somebody else told me that's because drunkenness starts with the first sip. Well, yes, you really have to start with the first sip. But how do I eat then? Where does gluttony start? Right? We have to be careful. It's Christian liberty and liberty of conscience. Noah got out of the ark. He built a vineyard. He got drunk. Lot's girls got him drunk. Proverbs says, it's not good to drink much, but if you got somebody who's sorrowful or sick, give them something. Take the edge off. And Paul tells Timothy, do not be drunk with, no, he tells Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach and your frequent infirmities, and then he says, don't be drunk with wine or be filled with the Spirit. Well, if it was just grape juice, there would be no command. You can't be preoccupied with something that affects your mind and takes you away from spiritually living your life day by day. And Jesus made wine that tasted so good and it probably could have got you tipsy because all right. So so that's that's kind of where we're at, because people are gonna take people are gonna take sides on stuff like this. Well you gotta be careful because now it, it involves our brother. We have all this freedom, but if he doesn't do it, I don't serve it when he comes over. If somebody else has something, I don't do it when they come over. And we'll see next week, Lord willing, that God is still the Lord of the conscience. My, my allegiance and who I follow is always God and his commandments. So the final section, the final section is there's a greater boldness in prayer of access to the throne of grace. And uh, so that's a, a freedom. These are two uh, g- great benefits greater access, and then fuller communications of the free spirit of God. It's promised, it's promised by Jesus. I'm gonna go, the spirit's gonna come and help. Uh, Romans 8 talks about the spirit helping in prayer. The spirit prays in ways that I don't know. I get confused. What do I pray for this person, that person, that person? The spirit groans in my spirit and and prays. Uh, there is uh, promised uh, help By the spirit there's there's promise uh, reminders I literally can pray God help me not to forget what I'm supposed to do help me not to forget what Jesus said I'm supposed to do and the spirit can bring those things to mind and 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 guide me uh, and direct so from the bondage of sin sin to freedom We don't obey, we yield obedience out of a childlike and willing mind, and then our liberty is is further enlarged. It's made even larger than the first uh, paragraph uh, because there's freedom from uh, the yoke and there's uh, greater access uh, in prayer. I'm uh, a little bit ahead of when I wanted to uh, uh, end, which is good. Give me an idea how long things take. Uh, next week, Lord willing, if we're going to continue with this, uh, paragraph two and three, God alone is Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments uh, uh, of men. So uh, let's uh, give thanks for our time to the Lord. Our Lord, we do give you thanks. How how free we truly are in Christ. How many things, uh, uh, what a checklist of things we're free from. We're thankful for The freedom from condemnation. We're thankful that we've been born again. We're thankful that the the devil's snares and traps can no longer uh, take a hold of us. And Lord, we're thankful that even in affliction and difficulty, uh, you have good purposes for us. There's freedom. We're thankful for Christ's promise uh, that on the last day, he'll raise up all that have put their faith in him. We pray that today would Help us to renew our faith, hearing all the wonderful things that you have done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.